Come on in and you should have some paperwork that is page 19, begins on page 19. And let me uh, tell you what our upcoming schedule is, and then we'll get into page 19 of the side-by-side series notes. But next week, we will finish this series, and then two weeks from today, we have as our guest speaker, Nathan Gearhart. Nathan and his family are supported by our church as they serve the Lord in a restricted access nation. He's going to give us an update on the work there and, uh, and then share the Word of God with us uh, as well. So that'll be this hour, the second hour, two weeks from today. Three weeks from today, during this hour, we will launch a new ministry at the church, Stephen Ministry. And that is a good segue from the end of this series on helping one another to a ministry that we have formalized here uh, to do that very that very thing. So I know you'll find it informative and I hope uh, encouraging as well. And then the four Sundays of June... We have our periodic newcomers orientation and new members classes. Both of those will be going on at the same time as they always are for the, for the four weeks that we do them. The new members class is for those who have joined the church since we had our last new members class. If you fit in that court category, you'll get a direct invite to that because that's a, a closed class, a defined number of people. The newcomers orientation is the one that I lead and that is an open class. It's for anybody who is new to our church hasn't ever taken our newcomers orientation. That's why we offer it periodically so that as folks come, we can uh, give that to you. And it is informational, four weeks of information about CBC and where we've come from and what we believe and why we do things the way we do to just help you know more about us, to aid you in making a decision as to whether or not this would be the place that God would have you to serve and, and grow. There's no obligation as you take that class. I don't follow up with you to say, what are you going to do? Beat on you, pressure you, any of that. Uh, we give you the information. If you have any questions after that, of course, you're welcome to ask me uh, those questions. But then we leave it up to you to prayerfully consider what your next steps are. So that'll be the four Sundays in June. If you're not in either of those, newcomers orientation or new members class, you'll be in here. And as we always do for that, we have some of our guys from the church Thankfully, we have a number of guys who are capable of teaching God's Word, and we're going to have some of our guys uh, doing that. And then in July, first Sunday in July, July 3rd, Dr. Combs is going to start a series in this hour, and it's on the holiness movement, and it's the history of what is called in church history the holiness movement, and what it uh, has taught, and various schools of thought have taught about Christian growth, sanctification in the Christian life. And uh, the full title of that is The Holiness Movement, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And so as you can tell from that, some of the teachings have not been good and some have been downright ugly. So Dr. Combs is going to be leading that. And I think you'll find it not only informative, but uh, fascinating and, and also enlightening because we, many of us who have been in evangelical Christianity for a number of years, are affected by roots that go back to that and we don't even know it. And I think that will help you identify ways that perhaps you've been affected for good or ill by those roots. And then when that series is concluded, between the end of that series and September 11th, between that time, the remaining weeks, I'm going to do a series on a view of current events uh, through a biblical lens. Just a lot going on in our world now. I get a lot of questions about a lot of the things that are happening in our world uh, from homosexuality in general to homosexual marriage. we got an election year coming up here, all of that. 
the violence that continues to go on in the Middle East. Uh, so we'll be dealing with some of that and trying to help show how to look at those things through a biblical lens. And then on September 11th, we will start a parenting series. I will lead a parenting series in here, and then we will have another class separate out of this room for those who uh, aren't interested in the parenting class for whatever reason. So that's our full schedule going through the, the end of the year for this hour. We have, for the last several weeks, been doing this series that is called, at the top right-hand corner of your paperwork, Side by Side. And it is about our relationships with one another and how those relationships can be used and should be used in order to help each other. And we've seen that we were created, we were made for relationship. God said at the outset of human history, it is not good that man be alone. And he cured that aloneness in the case of the first man, Adam, by giving him his wife, Eve. But I have said several times that marriage is is one wonderful cure for uh, loneliness, but it's not the only one. Not everybody gets married, but nobody's supposed to be alone whether you get married or not. And so aloneness can be cured in other ways uh, if God doesn't have marriage for you. Uh, certainly that includes uh, the the family of God and the church family that then uh, you you are a part of and an integral part of and a brother and sister in. So we were made for relationship. And those relationships are designed for us to help each other because we need help by virtue of being creatures. We're not the creator, we are the created. We are creatures. And by the limitations of being creatures, we need assistance. But then you add sin to the mix. We were made, so we are creatures, and we have limitations, and we would need help no matter what. And so Adam was given a helper to assist him before he ever sinned. We would need help no matter what. But now with the entrance of sin, we need help in profound ways, in spiritual ways. And that's why I have said relationship is for discipleship. Relationship is to help each other, but relationship is to help each other in spiritual ways, given the entrance of sin. And so relationships and our relationships should be the, for the purpose of helping one another advance in, in Christ's likeness. Relationship is for discipleship. We have seen then that we each fit into two categories. We are needy. We need help. And we are needed. We need to give help. And last week we made the transition into the second of those two that we are needed. And today you see at the top of page 19 we're going to, we're going to continue the we are needed portion of the series. Now last week we looked at how it is that you enter the life of another person through small talk and just conversation that's designed though has its in, objective to go deeper into the person's life in order to be of help to them. Now, last week's notes left off on page 17. We've been doling these out several pages each week. And at the end of the series, if you want all the notes, you know, in one package, we'll be happy to get that to you. Uh, but we left off on what was page 17. Now you see page 19. That was last week's page 17. So we go from page 19 to page 20 and a half, finishing off last week's notes and then some additional notes for, for, for today. So as we converse with others and we seek to go beyond the surface, we, according to the top of page 19, 
follow the affections. Follow the affections. We say at the top of page 19, we hope to learn what's important to the person we're talking to, which is another way of saying that we hope to hear what is on his or her heart. The way in is to listen for what is dear, what is loved, what is feared, what is hard. We listen for how someone feels. For example, we certainly want to know the age and names of someone's children, but we also want to hear stories about the children that reveal things like parental affection, hopes, and griefs. We listen for signs of life, what animates this person, what gets them excited when they start to talk about these areas. So, we saw last week a question about the holidays might reveal the pleasure or pain of gathering with extended family. A question about health can reveal thankfulness or or fear. So we keep our ears open for details that are important to the person we're speaking with. They may, that may sound clinical, but it's not. It's what you do naturally when you're interested in someone. You follow what excites, what is prized, and what is hard. We want to know others, but we can't know them by simply amassing the events of their lives. Personal knowledge is what we are after. When we hear Scripture say that God knows us, in Psalm 139, for example, where the Bible says, you have searched me and you, you know me. That means that he knows our pleasures and griefs, our loves and our loathings, and he has us in his heart. How do we do this for someone we're trying to move toward? We do it by asking questions that get at what matters. So middle of page 19, you know, you guys may have just come out of cafe community and asked these very questions. What did you do this week? That gets information. And then you ask, well, how are you? Well, that gets closer to the heart, but there are two versions of that. How question, how are you? The first version is a mere greeting that doesn't anticipate anything other than a reflexive kind of automatic, fine, how are you? But then there's the second type of how question. And this one is revolutionary, and some people have never asked it. When someone responds with a perfunctory good or how are you, You can respond with, how are you really? How has your week been? And now you're you're getting personal. You can even dust off some of the other questions that we saw earlier in prior notes that only surface information and aim for deeper knowledge the same way. So how is work really going for you? A superficial response is good, but that can now become, I'm concerned about budget cuts. And whether or not I'll continue to have a position. How is school might be answered with almost over, but that can then be followed up with, has there been anything that you've especially enjoyed? Anything that's been a challenge for you? Any plans for next year? How are your children? Children are always important to parents, so you'll be sure to hear something about a person's heart with that, and parents will love you for asking. Now, let me make few suggestions here. If you do this and you're seeking to be a helper because you're needed in the life of others and relationship is for discipleship and all of that. So if you're trying to go beyond the surface, ask these kinds of questions, but then go with what they tell you. (laughs) Go with what they tell you rather than what you think they should be telling you. Sometimes people do this. You know, they really grab onto this and they say, you know, I, I, I have a heart for people and I 
God has called us all to help each other, and I want to help somebody else, and so I want to enter into their life, and so I want to move beyond the small talk, and I want to say, hey, how are you really doing? And they, you know, say, you know, things are going, actually, things are going well. Things are going well. And then you don't believe it. I mean, it can't be, everything can't be well. So then you give them this kind of puppy look. No, really. How's it going? Now, here's the thing with that. That scares people. Don't do that, okay? Go with what they tell you. Now, it may be they're blowing you off. Maybe they're not telling you the truth. But if they're blowing you off, you're not going to force it out of them. Okay? They just don't want to talk right now. So don't try, to, don't try to force somebody to talk. Go with what they tell you rather than what you think they should be telling you. And particularly, don't determine what you think they should be telling you based on how they look. And this is just a, a suggestion to you, but be careful about reading how people look. Because here's the thing, you can get that wrong. It's not a sure guide to anything. Now, you know, if I'm talking here and in this room, you know, Julie's on the front row and she's got her head in her hands and she's sobbing. She hasn't told me anything, but I can gather there's something wrong with Julie. Okay? So there are certainly times where someone makes it obvious there's something going on with them. Okay, And then it's appropriate to say, hey, what's happening? Can I help you? So on. But unless it is obvious, don't try, don't try to read. Get information. And you get information through propositions, through, through words, through sentences. Get it that way and don't draw conclusions otherwise. Related to that, if someone disagrees with your assessment of what's going on with them, it doesn't necessarily mean they're in denial. You see how this goes? I'm here to help you. Pastor taught this series on helping people. So now in Cafe Community, I'm wanting to go beyond the surface. I'm here to help you. I'm asking you questions that try to go to a deeper level. You're not throwing the ball back. So you're not cooperating here. There is stuff going on with you and you're hiding it. Well, no, not really. I mean, things are going pretty well. You're in denial. And see, you can't win that, can you? The you're in denial thing. So go with what they tell you rather than what you think they should be telling you based on how they look. Just go with it. Just ask the question. And if God opens the door to go deeper and they want to do that, then enter into that and do some of the things that we're suggesting. But if not, then trust God to open a door later if and when that door needs to be open. All right, back to your notes then. Bottom of page 19, we listen as we talk for likes and dislikes. We listen for God's place in it all. Now, God may or may not be mentioned at all. So when it says here we listen as a person is telling us about Stuff with their children, stuff with their job. And you're listening for God's place in it all. Don't be listening for the word God to be used because it may not be used at all. But rather, listen for places where God should be invoked. Where God is the major player and where pointing them to God will help them with that particular thing that they're they're going through. Now, why would 
God's name not necessarily be used as somebody's telling you about their troubles. Well, you've heard me say in the past that most of us live honestly as functional atheists. And this is not good, to put it mildly, but too many Christians live as functional, that is in practice. We live with an atheistic mindset. I'm going through stuff. I've got things going on in my day-to-day life, but God isn't at the fore of that. God's not at the center of that. I'm not thinking about what God has for me in this and how God is active in this as he is in all other things. We all tend to slip into that functional atheism. And so that's where you can be of great help to somebody to point that out to them. You know, again, another suggestion, don't say you're a functional atheist. I get to say that here. Don't say that one-on-one when somebody's got hot coffee in their their hand. You don't need to say that, but that is what most of us do. And then you, you can remind them, hey, you know the Lord is at work. The Lord has something for you. Here's what God says. And so listen for where God is in all of it, but that doesn't mean listening for the word God because they may not use it, and that's because it's easy for us to slip into a functional atheism. Mere information, bottom of page 19, can be boring. I woke up, I had a bagel for breakfast, I took a shower, drove to work, on it goes. If the conversation threatens to stay in information purgatory, just bust in where there's a pause and ask, and how are you? We move into another person's world, walking side by side. We want to be moved by the things that move her. Then, having her on our heart, we pray for her and ask how we can pray for her. And this, then, is where you now know something about another brother or sister, another person. They've shared something that's going on in their life, and you make a point to say, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for you. And then, under prayer, once we pray with or for someone... We are in an ongoing story of his life, and it's an honor to be there. We hear information. We hear what's important to him. And we let that settle in our own heart. We pray for it. And then we follow up the next time we see him. I've been thinking about your son. I'm praying he would not be defeated by the failure he feels in school and would keep talking about it with you. I've been praying for your relationship with your boss and that you'll have patience, wisdom, and confidence that God is with you. How's it going? Ah, now that person is getting something from you that they don't get at work, they don't get from anybody else, and you're developing a relationship with them that is closer now than their surface relationships, even the relationships that they've known at at church. Now, all of this might seem to be help at its most minimal, and in one sense it is. Up to this point, we're not giving hours of time. We greet one week. We ask a follow-up, few follow-up questions the next. Doesn't seem like much. But look at the sentence. Those who receive even this minimal care from someone are blessed. Absolutely, absolutely the case. And everybody here can do that with everybody here. One of the reasons we designed the structure of our church the way we did a long time ago, yeah, it's 15 years. This is our 15th year. We have eaten a lot of bagels in 15 years. 
been a lot of coffee made. And we have 30 minutes every week on purpose. And the on purpose piece is actually this stuff. To give an opportunity for people to interact, but then to hopefully interact and go at a more meaningful level than just the surface as the door is opened. Years ago, I attended a seminary class in Philadelphia. And the seminary, Westminster Seminary, is a Presbyterian seminary. And one of the, there were several cool things about doing that. One was, uh, on the campus there, they had a hall, they have a hall named after a guy named J. Gresham Machen. And if you know anything about church history, uh, Machen is a famous fundamentalist. And he was on the faculty of Princeton University. And when Princeton began to go liberal, did you all know that Princeton uh, is associated with the United Presbyterian Church, liberal Presbyterian denomination? So when they started to go liberal, Machen and some others left Princeton and started Westminster Seminary. So it started with five faculty from Princeton starting Westminster. And those guys left, and some of them lost their retirements and their libraries and everything to do that. So Machen was a brilliant guy, and there's Machen Hall. And I'm in there, there's this portrait of Machen. And I just, you know, it was the coolest thing for a guy like me. So there was that. But here was the other thing. I was in a little bit different circle. You know, I'm fellowshipping with brothers that do things different than what I've been accustomed to. And that was a good thing for me. And there were a number of things that I picked up that were part of their just everyday practice that were foreign to me. And here's one of them. That during breaks, during classes, these uh, get, we'd all get together and we'd talk. But then these guys would ask you stuff like this. What's going, what's going on in your life? What's going on in your ministry? You know, and so I would, I would tell them something. And then they would do this. <laughs> they would say, well, let's pray about that. And then there's the two of us in this hallway during a break. And this guy puts his arm around me and we just start praying. And I'm thinking to myself, you can't do that. You can't just pray. Now, I'm being facetious, but really that's kind of my first, because we don't do that. You know, it's, I'll write that down. I'll pray about it later, which is fine. But that's what I'm, I'm used to. But this guy says, hey, let's pray about it. I remember leaving there and some guys, students, fellow students, taking me to the airport. And when I get out of the car... These guys say, hey, before you go, can we pray for you? And these two guys put their arm around me and they pray for me. Safe travels, blessings in ministry, some of the things we talked about. They pray for me before I leave. I've attended some conferences that are put on by some of these these same folks in the PCA, Presbyterian Church in America. So (laughs) you think Baptists have a lot of different Baptists? The Presbyterians, man, they... They don't, we don't hold a candle to them, okay? There are Presbyterians all over the place of different stripes. Bible Presbyterians, Cumberland Presbyterians. But the PCA, and this is the Presbyterian Church in America. It's a break-off group, conservative group, gospel-believing group. It's the R.C. Sproles of the world. The D. James Kennedy, he's now with the Lord. But it's, it's those people. Kevin DeYoung is now in, in that. And uh, so I've gone to some of those conferences, and they all do this. You know, in the hallways, there's just people 
you know, with our arm around each other, praying for each other. It's just part of their culture. It's what they do. And I tell you all that to just say, wouldn't that be a beautiful thing if, if we learn to do that? And as we're interacting, even on Sunday, and somebody says something's going on in my life, not only are we going to write it down and pray for it during the week, you say, hey, let's take that to the Lord right now. Let's pray together. So I'm encouraging you to, to consider doing that. And then very middle of page 20, knowing others well enough to pray for them, that's help at its most basic and, its, and at its best. Now, all of this, if you're going to be successful at it, if you're going to do it well, depends on how you look at it. And really, notice what we say there in the notes. It's not how you look at it, it's how you look at them. As a person, do you look at them as a problem or do you look at them as an opportunity divinely given in order for you to have an open door for ministry? How we interact with others will in large part be dependent on how we view them. If we view them as all bad, then our dealings will be unpleasant as as best. And since some people are very hard to like, it requires intentional effort to look for and see the good about them. Now, Who is that? It's the person you're thinking of right now. Some people are hard to like. And to see the good in them, it's a challenge for you to do that. You've heard me refer to people that are just harder to to break into, harder to deal with as EGRs. Do you remember that? Extra grace required. And every church has EGRs. People for whom extra grace is required. Now, I said, who is that person? It's the person you're thinking about. And if you're sitting there and you're going, you know, I don't know anybody like that. Then you're probably the EGR, okay? (laughs) You're probably the person. But every church has them. But it depends on how you look. If you're going to look at them at all bad. Now, look at Paul's example, the Apostle Paul. He understood the need for such perspective. Listen to how he started his first letter to the church at Corinth. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Not only did he start that letter that way, he starts all his letters that way. Now, what's interesting about this greeting to the Corinthians is they were actually bad. Right? You remember reading about the Corinthians? I... Some years ago, I saw a church van, and the the name of the church on the side of the van was Corinthian Baptist Church. That's a really lousy name for a church, okay? Because the Corinthians were a really lousy church. You just go through the 16 chapters of 1 Corinthians, and it's just problem after problem, and big problems, not just small stuff, big stuff that these guys have going on. We list here, they boasted in their reputation and associations. You know, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. They ignored the poor among them. They were known for being divisive. Yet even in all their badness and their disrespect even for Paul, okay, that's the other thing. (laughs) You know, I thank God for you. They diss Paul. Now I'm going to give you a couple of confessions as we go forward in these notes. Here's the first one. I've tried to think about how I would have communicated the Corinthians. If they were dissing me the way they diss Paul, 
and they're doing all the junk and the sin that they're doing. How would I have addressed them? I can tell you with confidence it would not have been this way. And I don't say that happily. That as I think about this and I think about the great apostle giving himself, going to Corinth with such fear that in Acts chapter 18 and verse 10, an angel has to appear to him and say, fear not. Go and speak. He's fearful, is Paul. The angel has to buck his confidence for him to go and speak. Fear not, go and speak, for I have many people in this city. There will be people who respond to your message. So he goes and he does that. He spends a year and a half with them. He establishes the church there. And then he is mistreated. He is ill-spoken of. And they depart from great portions of what it was that he, he taught them. And yet he writes them and says, I thank God because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Convicting. That Paul could look at with all the bad, and his letter has all the bad in it. But he can start it by saying, here's the good, here's the good. He could see the good in them. Such an attitude, bottom of page 20, can lead to deeper conversations. Let me tell you more about the grace I've seen in you. You can say to someone. Somehow you remain hopeful even in hard things. How do you do it? You've been given amazing gifts. And I've been praying that God would protect you so you can continue to use them well. I've been thinking about you recently. Now, in all of those statements, this person may be a crumb in other ways. Bad. But there's all of this genuine good. And Paul didn't let the bad overshadow the good. He was able to affirm the good and encourage his readers in the faith. We want to do the same. And everyone is a mixed bag. All humanity has been created in God's image. Though sin has distorted and sullied that image, the image persists and it is the reason we can enjoy each other. Look at this next sentence. Everything good is a reflection of the, good, of the God who is good. You know, I, I ponder that sentence. Everything good is a reflection of the God who is good. And because I am so attuned... Part of this is personality. Part of this is vocation as a pastor. But I am so attuned to fallenness and restoration and trying to see things fixed and the problems that occur. I read a sentence like that and I, I know that I don't, I don't see the good in life, in God's good world, as much as I can and should. Fallenness can do that to you. Dealing with sin and focusing on sin can do that to you so that, man, there's just nothing good and I can't wait until God beams me up out of here. Right? But in the midst of the journey and in the midst of all the difficulty, that's a great reminder for me and perhaps for you. Everything good is a reflection of the God who is good. And despite sin, look at the goodness of God in our world, and then especially in one another. And the following story is an example of what can happen when you look for the good. A wife had had enough of her husband's lies, lewd comments about other women, drunkenness, and self-admitted narcissism. 
She asked to see the pastor of the church she attended, and her husband, who mocked her profession of faith, was willing to go with her. Why did he see the pastor? He said that he was certainly not going to change, but he wanted to, quote, help her be happier. I love her. The pastor saw the bad. The husband's sin was flamboyant, and most people would quickly forgive the pastor if he jumped up and strangled him. However, the pastor entered a different way. He saw the humanness, something of God's reflection in him. He saw how the man was affected by his wife in his simple willingness to come and seek help with her, and that's good. You are a hybrid if ever I saw one. You are hard as can be on the outside, but softer on the inside than you let on. Thank you for coming. The pastor was soon brought into some of the difficult and painful things in this man's life. So, that is a very, very, very good thing. It's very easy when you hear about all the bad to only see the bad then. That's a big, huge challenge for me personally. I hear all the bad and then I'm affected by only the bad and fail to see fail to see the good. So this that story is a great challenge. Now I want to park here for just a little bit. Because in this room there are people who fit in one of two categories and few of us, if any of us, are a good blend of both. And all of us need to try to become this good blend of both of these categories. So here are the categories. You've got the person who sees the good. And you've got the person who sees only the bad. I've already told you, I tend to see the bad. And then you've got people who tend to see the, to see the good. Now, if you're a person who has that ability, that bright, you know, sunny persona, and you're able to see the good in, in everybody and all of that, you know, Let's hang around. I want some of that to rub off. No, so it's a very good thing. However, the tendency is for you to to stay there and never get to the bad. And for the person who only sees the bad, the tendency is for you to go for that jugular too quickly. That's me. That's what I do. All right, we know what an idiot you are. Let's get this fixed. Okay, so here's... Here's the deal. Here's how you got to get that straight. And neither of those is the right way to go. Neither of them. I have got to learn to do what Paul did better. And some of you have got to learn to be able to confront the bad because you only deal with the good. You're only sugary and you're only nice. And here's the thing. When you're only sugary and only nice, it makes it harder for those of us that are not. If you only got five people in the church who are willing to take it on, then they become the go-to people to do the heavy lifting. If you want somebody that really will confront it, take them to Brown. Okay, that's my job. And I tend to do that. But what if we had a congregation full of people who were willing to do both? Yes, see the good, but also be willing to lovingly but directly say, you're doing the wrong thing. 
and you've been doing the wrong thing for a long time. And you need to avail yourself of the grace of Jesus to get it straight. So I'm calling you to repent of that. Based upon this relationship that you've developed, based upon seeing the good, you're calling the person to repentance. Years ago, I heard a a pastor use this phrase. The phrase is, I've never heard anybody else say it. But he said, we need to recover. Recover it from what? I don't know. Because I've never read it anyplace else. But we need to recover the ministry of confrontation, he said. The ministry of confrontation. Well, confrontation, you know, for us, that's all, that's all negative. I don't want to confront anybody. I can't. Confrontation's negative. But he called it the ministry of confrontation. That you're actually serving somebody when you're willing to do that. That's what ministry means, serving. The service of being willing to confront somebody who's wrong. And the Bible calls us to do that, doesn't it? Not just people we pay to be the bad guys. But it's, it's not pleasant. It's hard, and that's why we don't do it. Most of us would rather be in the category of everything's good. And all of us need to be in that category. But none of us should stay in either one of those categories. We must do it. Some years ago, I had someone say to me, Look, I don't do that. I don't do the confrontation thing. Quote, you like confrontation. You like confrontation. Well, no, I don't take any offense to that. He, he said sheepishly. What kind, of, what kind of jerk do you have to really be to enjoy confrontation? Right? The truth of the matter is I don't enjoy it at all. I don't like it one bit. But I've got to do it. And we need to do it. So I don't do it because I like it. I do it because it's got to be done. And I am saying to us, I need to be in the see good category more. But many of you need to be in the see what's wrong more and be willing to deal with it with brothers and sisters. And if you will, it won't be so foreign then when somebody else has to do it. So do me a favor. Don't be, in our church relationships, the non-custodial parent. You know what I mean by that? So if you're divorced and you have a custodial arrangement, you know what that is. But most of you are familiar with, in a divorce, if there are children involved, there is the custodial parent, there's the non-custodial parent. There's an arrangement where the non-custodial parent sees the kids every so often. And the non-custodial parent just sees them long enough to give them a great time. Right? So the custodial parent, who has to do the discipline? It's the custodial parent. Who has to be the hard guy or gal? It's the custodial parent. The non-custodial parent is a trip to Disney World every time you go. And so we arrange stuff and we just have to make a day of it. And then we drop you back off to the custodial parent where there's life 
and confrontation and discipline and spankings and timeouts and get up and go to school and all of that stuff, right? So I am saying, do me a favor. Do our church a favor. Don't just be the non-custodial parent. Don't just be the person for whom everything is a good time. And when we get together, you're just telling me how wonderful I am and all these great things you see in me, but you're never confronting the issues. The more we do that together, then the better off we will all be because we will have a culture of lovingly helping each other to move from where we are to where we need to go. All right, page 21. As you do all of this, as you see the good in this mixed bag that each person is, notice character qualities. Be eager to discover patience, self-control, humility, kindness, selfless acts, encouraging words, attentiveness, courtesy. That's a form of respect. Interest in justice and people who are marginalized, hard work, love. These reflections of divine goodness are best identified, praised, and enjoyed. If their appearance is episodic, And brief, and even if they are contaminated with selfishness or pride, don't let the unattractive features of someone's life blind you to the good. Bottom of page 21, her house is a mess and her friends assume she'll be late. Many find her frustrating and unreliable, but those who know her see more. When help is needed, she's there and usually on time. When you speak with her, she is all there. She hears you, anticipates where you are going, is moved by what you say, and will pray for you more than will five other friends. But a person like that can be easily dismissed. Love is able to see past the clutter of a disorganized life. Other evidence of the good in people is easy to see, but only if you have access to some behind-the-scenes details. He is never too busy to help. A two-hour drive to pick up a stranded member from his church was the most recent interruption in his very full days. As he recounted the trip to a friend, it was clear he enjoyed every moment of it, even though he had been out quite late the night before. The good was recognized because the friend with whom he shared the story took the time to ask a few more details. But that only happens, you only know that, in the context of relationships. So notice character qualities, notice gifts and talents, and then if you look on page 23, notice pleasures and preferences that someone has, even hobbies, and then notice spiritual vitality. As enjoyable as all of these are, more direct expressions of faith in Jesus Christ are even more so. A friend asks you to pray for her. A person tells you a story about turning to Jesus in the midst of great weakness. Someone confides in you about a struggle with anger and asks for help. A spouse says, I was so encouraged by Scripture this morning. Can I tell you about what I read? Immediately after a church service, a friend greets you and mentions specific ways she was challenged and encouraged by the morning sermon. And she asks for your thoughts as a way she can learn even more. A friend told me about his favorite sermon. The result was a double gift. He enjoyed remembering it, and I was spellbound. The next day I sent him this note. Thanks so much for the sermon. Now it's among my favorites, and I will quote you when I pass it on to someone else. All of us can see good in our friends. Scripture, however, authorizes us to see the good and enjoy it in all people, even when most of us are not always so good. That will encourage others, increase our affection, and make it easier to talk about things that are hard. All right. Time to quit. We will pick up and conclude there next week. Let's ask the Lord to go with us. Father, thank you again for the blessings of this day. We ask that you will 
particularly bless the ladies in our congregation, uh, our mothers, but all of our women, and that this will be indeed a special and encouraging day to them. We ask you, Lord, to help us today and this week to ponder what we have seen from your word about what parents and grandparents and godparents in a church family are to be to our children and extended families and church family. Help us to ponder that and implement that. And then, Lord, with regard to our relationships that you have given us as a divine tool in order to sharpen one another and to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Help us, Lord, to take those seriously and to look for open doors that you provide in order to have good effect on those you bring into our circle of influence. Go with us now this week and bring us back safely next Lord's Day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.